You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. Downtown Seattle is struggling to return to pre-pandemic form. While certain areas of downtown are recovering more quickly, foot traffic across the city's central business district is still way below pre-pandemic levels. And office vacancy rates are double what they were in 2019. And there are a ton of proposed remedies to an ailing downtown, from turning office space into residential apartments to filling the streets with pop-up pickleball tournaments. Mercy, please, from the pickleball discourse. Let's stay on track. To better understand why downtown Seattle is struggling and how to build a more vibrant city center, we turn to KUOW growth and development reporter Joshua McNichols. Hey, Joshua. Welcome back to Soundside. Hey, Libby. Good to see you. So, uh, first of all, do we need more pickleball in downtown? No. (laughs) My my first question is actually, I want to talk about stakes. How well is downtown Seattle recovering from the pandemic? Well, some recent data lets us kind of drill down neighborhood by neighborhood. And different parts of downtown are recovering at different rates. Like, if you look at the south part of downtown, you know, kind of take Yesler Way and look at the part of downtown north of that and Pioneer Square to the south – That part of downtown is doing the worst. It's about 56% economic recovered. That's in terms of its foot traffic as measured on people's cell phones when they go into like a chain restaurant or something. But if you go a little bit farther north, things are looking a little bit better. The central downtown part, which includes the waterfront and the Pike Place Market, that's at about 70% recovery. And then if you go even further north still, you know, into the Belltown area, the Denny Triangle there around the Amazon spheres, that's at 75% recovered. So Sure. Yeah. Well, all those Amazonians have to be back in the office three days a week, right? So that's <laughs> probably helped some. And I have seen a ton of people at Pike Place Market. So That's right. Tourism is way up. That's kind of a bright spot. Yeah. You spoke with Tracy Haddon Lowe, who's a fellow at the Brookings Institute and an expert on cities. And she says there are three reasons why downtown Seattle has been recovering slowly. What are those? Those reasons are the perception of crime downtown and the challenging commutes that we have getting downtown. And then also the kinds of offices that we have downtown. We don't have enough variety. Hmm. Okay, so let's start off with that first one you said perceptions of crime. Tell me more. Basically, Tracy's team interviewed 100 stakeholders in New York, Chicago, Seattle, and Philadelphia. And these included residents, major employers, property owners, small business owners, and other stakeholders. And they all identified the perception of crime as a major factor. One thing that we heard across all of those cities was that concerns about order in the public realm. People were raising concerns about crime, but also just about what's going on with homelessness. People were saying that that's a factor in whether they want to go downtown. It might come as a surprise to the average person in the Seattle area if I say that, like, actually the share of crime that happens in downtown Seattle actually declined (laughs) during the pandemic. But it might feel worse because there's less of every other kind of activity. So Tracy basically told me that property crime and violent crime went up during the pandemic across Seattle. That's not going to come as a surprise to a lot of people. We've recently been seeing some numbers from the mayor's office that says crime is actually down a little bit in the first half of 2023. But regardless, you know, what's really surprising to me is this fact that 
downtown, which we see in so many stories is sort of written about as the worst of the worst. Sure. Depending on the outlet, it's, you know, the hell has opened up and yeah, it's just the a wasteland. Those stories are really overblown because if you really want to be examining where crime has grown, it's sort of in the surrounding neighborhoods. You know, the share of crimes that are downtown has gone down. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to send your kid trick-or-treating downtown. But, you know, it's actually a little bit safer relative to other neighborhoods than it was before the pandemic. Yeah. And I really am interested in the fact that you're talking about perception of crime here with Tracy, how people feel about what's going on downtown. And that's really different from, you know, actual data and incidents of street crime. We've talked about how the share of crime downtown is less than it was before the pandemic. How hard is it, though, to quantify people's perception of crime? That seems pretty squishy, Joshua. Yeah. I mean, you can poll people. You can talk to 100 stakeholders like she did and learn that it's a major problem. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. If people feel like downtown is unsafe, they're not going to come downtown. And these cities are all identifying that as a major reason why there's less sort of foot traffic downtown as people are kind of scared away. The next factor that Tracy highlights is commute times. And I have a feeling you're not going to say they're too short, Joshua. No, I'm definitely not going to. The commutes into downtown Seattle are too long and it's hurting downtown. It really is just about like the length of commutes, right? This is a factor that multiple research projects looking at downtown recoveries have found is significant. And, you know, Seattle has some of the longest commutes, like the median regional commute in Seattle is nine miles, which is higher than the median commute distance in the New York City metro area. Major restrictions on growth right around the downtown means that a lot of the people who work in the downtown end up having to live really far away. And so that puts them with super long commutes that telework is an attractive substitute for. Hmm. So she kind of hits on two points there, right? She's talking about the length of commutes is bad. And then she's also sort of talking about the lack of housing around downtown within a short walk of downtown. I want to focus on both of those takeaways real quickly. Yeah. First, imagine that you live in, you know, a town like Black Diamond, you know, which is in the foothills of the Cascades. It's, you know, maybe an hour outside of downtown Seattle. Beautiful area. Beautiful area, right? But if you have the option to work remotely, you know, maybe you're going to choose not to take that hour-long commute, much of which is along a sort of winding two-lane road as you approach Maple Valley, you know. There's a lot more incentive for you to choose to take those remote work days when you can. And that results in, you know, those people from Black Diamond being less likely to be walking around in downtown Seattle at lunchtime looking for a place to buy lunch, right? So that's one thing she focused on. But the other thing she focused on is like, the lack of growth right around downtown. And this is one thing that I feel like I really learned from Tracy is the importance of neighborhoods that are sort of on the periphery of downtown Seattle. So imagine, you know, in downtown, you've got Belltown, but around the periphery, you also have Queen Anne, you have Capitol Hill, you have Pioneer Square, the International District, and First Hill. These neighborhoods are very, very important to the health of downtown Seattle. And if we have lots and lots of housing within those neighborhoods, those are lots and lots of people who are just a short walk from downtown. The commute wouldn't be a barrier for them. Exactly. 
Yeah. So that that's how these things are so intertwined. I mean, transportation, housing and the health of neighborhoods. They're all of a piece, right, Joshua? Yeah, they're very closely related. And we'll get into solutions a little bit more, you know, in a couple minutes. But I just want to hint at that here, that connection between commutes and housing. And Joshua, the final factor that Tracy talked about contributing to slow recovery downtown is that the city has a mix of office space that isn't well suited for the current moment. So what does current office space look like and why is it difficult to fill? Yeah, I'm going to let her answer part of that question. But first, I want to just say that I came to this interview with Tracy with a hypothesis, and that was that remote work is the primary reason why downtown is struggling. And I learned that the truth is a little bit more complicated. It's not as simple as that, like, the rise of remote work is leading to a reduction in demand for office space. Like, that's true. But the way that that manifests itself is it's not that once people wanted offices, now they want no offices. It's that they can consume fewer square feet of offices per worker. So what they want are smaller, very high-quality, flexible spaces. In other words, they want a new kind of office that is different from the offices of the past. The problem is that because downtowns are just literally older, they are the most established areas of job concentration in any metropolitan area, that means that the office product that those places are dominated by is also older. And just nobody wants that stuff anymore. So downtowns are dated and the office inventory needs a refresh. So that is like the single most common thread that connects all downtowns right now. They're older. They need a refresh. Who's going to pay for that? The thing I took away from this you know, part of the conversation with Tracy is that downtown Seattle is a little bit like a monocrop. You know, it's like, you know what that is in farming? Yeah, like the Irish potato famine. Yeah, exactly. So we kind of had like an Irish potato famine in our downtown. Yeah. But the crop that failed was not potatoes. It was office towers that are geared for, you know, tech companies in the early 2000s. Yeah, those like cubicle farms that people just aren't interested in anymore. (laughs) Right, right, right. So companies in the exact form that they were sort of before the pandemic, they don't exist anymore. They don't want the same kinds of buildings. So buildings have to change and change is hard. Now, recently, I I had the chance to moderate the awards for the American Institute of Architects uh, Seattle chapter, you know, and, and, and one of the projects that won an award was 805th. It's this old commercial tower. You know, it's across the street from the municipal tower. Most people know it as the the place where you there's a Starbucks right outside the city tower. You know? <laughs> yep. OK, I know that. And then one. there's yeah. this big silver office building above it that, you know, hardly anybody looks at. It. It's a little bit hostile on the street, you know, like the way it meets the street. It's not super pleasant to sort of walk around. Well, they they just did this. Architects have to come up with fancy words for stuff that sound kind of technical. They call it repositioning, right? And so they they repositioned how like 805th meets the ground. They got all these, you know, kind of attractive common spaces. They built this cool little meeting room that like cantilevers over the street, this glass box and put a bunch of plants in it. Try to make it feel like a living room, right? It's this idea like how do you take an old office building that's not really that exciting a place to be and make it exciting again. Make it look more like a tech campus that was built last year. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and that's, it's a gamble. 
like, you know, the the developers behind this, they're hoping that this is going to work. This is going to draw people back. But, mm. you know, they don't know for sure. It costs a lot of money to do all this sort of repositioning. You got all kinds of offices in downtown Seattle that are kind of like that, where they're, they need some serious repositioning, right? And and there are other things you can do with them. You can convert some of them to apartment use. Um, Although that's difficult. You've reported on that before. You yeah. don't have enough windows. What do you do with that internal space? And and Tracy Haddon Lowe, you know, cautioned me against, uh, you know, putting too much stock in that idea of, you know, repositioning offices as apartment towers because offices are inherently very efficient uses of space and apartments are less so, you know, you use them mostly during the evening, you know. You know, I, I also assume, Joshua, that, this was a case of remote work pulling people away from offices, but it's not that simple. And that's why I love talking with you because it you always complicate the narrative. And I think that's what we need here. We're talking about why downtown Seattle has had a slow recovery compared to some other cities across the country. There are three reasons that Joshua McNichols is focusing on with his guest, Tracy Haddon Lowe with Brookings. And that is perceptions of crime, long commutes and office space that doesn't fit the current needs of the city. So, Joshua, now we've come to the time. Let's look at some solutions. And we will again start with perceptions of crime. This feels like a really difficult problem to counteract. Again, we're talking about what's in people's heads, the narratives around downtown. What did Tracy say about this? Yeah, well, she pointed me to some research. And unfortunately, there's no magic bullet for this, obviously. But the research that Tracy pointed me to traces the roots of violence and crime to economic inequality and lack of opportunity. And these are systemic problems requiring a coordinated effort to address, you know, and you need to make targeted investments, especially in high crime neighborhoods that include alternative crisis response models, investments in the built environment like parks and other kinds of places for people to gather, you know, sort of third places. And then investments aimed at increasing economic opportunities like job training and permanent supportive housing and higher wages for low-skilled jobs. You know, these are sort of the research-driven solutions. It it doesn't necessarily get at that perception of crime, though, too. That is also a factor of, like, how much crime or disorder or public homelessness you sort of see on the street. And that is impacted by how many people are walking around. So there is a little bit of a chicken and egg problem. Building more residents helps with this, too, because you got more people walking around and the some of the problems on the street are a little bit less visible. You know, yeah. I do think there is an unfortunate role that the media plays in this as well, that we will report certain numbers that are misleading. They're not in context. We have um, sort of a a story that is being told about downtown that is simply not uh, the case or is less severe than what the narrative seems to indicate. And I think that that is on all of us as well to be really clear about, you know, what's really happening and why and not just repeat things that get clicks. You know, and and it is important as we talk about the perception of crime versus the actual statistics to acknowledge that when people don't feel safe, they don't feel safe. Like, you know, we can debate this until the end of time. But, you know, if people don't feel safe, they're not going to come downtown. And also, it's not necessarily a cause to celebrate that crime has risen, according to this 2019 through 2022 data, in other neighborhoods besides downtown, right? Like, we can say the share of crimes has gone down, but in part that's because it's kind of gone up a little bit over that pandemic period in other places. 
Another huge issue, of course, the region has longer median commutes in terms of distance than New York City. How does Tracy propose we tackle that issue, Joshua? Well, I got two parts to this solution. And one part of it we talked to, we talked about already, which is you need a lot more housing in the neighborhoods around downtown, also in downtown. But the other part I want to focus on here is how transit changes that story. Because when we make major investments as a community in, you know, light rail, for example, we are dramatically increasing the areas that are next to downtown. Think about an area like Judkins Park, for example, or an area like Northgate. These are neighborhoods that all of a sudden they are a very short commute from downtown because of the power and the speed of light rail. And so the neighborhoods around these can be sort of thought about as like little islands, little embassies of downtown. They're like they're places that are almost like part of downtown because of their connection via light rail. So we could think about those areas right around those stations as we could develop them very, very densely. We could develop them more densely than we're currently planning to and put lots and lots and lots of housing there. And think of that as like an extension of housing in downtown. Exactly. Tracy told me that what downtowns are really good at is putting people and jobs in close proximity to each other. Lots of people and lots of jobs. And light rail dramatically expands that. And um, we just got to think about, you know, we have some major constraints that add friction to the arrival of people where jobs are. It's because of our geography. It's because we've we've decided to protect farms and forests, you know, and not have urban sprawl. And, you know, this also helps reduce commutes because people aren't so far apart. But still, it's like people are getting pushed farther out. And the more we can do to bring the hinterlands outside of downtown, close in through rapid transit, the more housing capacity we create. And key to that is making the housing affordable, right? Because one of the reasons people move out is they can't afford something closer to their jobs. It's a common experience. The final solution we want to discuss has to do with office space that's hard to fill. And that's literally just built into what our urban landscape looks like right now. What did Tracy say about using that space? Well, you know, there are a few things the city could do to try to make it easier to change the way office buildings are used. But here she told me that there are some reasons for some hope, just the way things are now. She said, greater Seattle's economic diversity will help save downtown Seattle. You know, other companies, not tech companies, will want to move in, you know, kind of like Warehouser did in 2016. Our downtown Seattle has been sort of dominated by tech companies for several years now, and it's been hard for other companies to sort of find a foothold in because they were basically priced out. And yet when you look at the whole region, like we're not just about tech. We've got like a lot of sort of manufacturing and research and stuff like that. And so many of these companies will want a place downtown. The question is, are we able to solve the other problems that would allow them to make that decision to move downtown? For example, will employees feel safe downtown? Can they find housing nearby or a short transit trip away that they can afford? So much of this comes down to housing, you know? Look at the parts of downtown that are recovering. You know, we talked about how different parts of downtown are recovering at different rates. The parts that are a little bit more north that are doing better, they have more new housing. Big apartment towers like the Emerald, the West Edge, Rainier Square Tower. You know, these are not necessarily places we think of as affordable, but there are also affordable housing projects. Most of those right outside the 
central business area, but, you know, kind of on the periphery too. And we need to have a wider variety of reasons for people to come downtown, kind of like we see in those other neighborhoods. You know, those other neighborhoods have the Pike Place Market. They've got theaters. They've got more restaurants. They've um, got things going on around the clock. And and when people live nearby downtown and those kinds of things are happening, there's more reasons for people to just kind of walk downtown casually besides going to work, you yeah. know? Joshua, why should we care about downtowns? I mean, it seems like a simple question, but why is it such a big deal to think about the comeback of Seattle's downtown? One thing I learned from Tracy is that we should not look at downtowns as somehow just in competition with other neighborhoods. You know, downtowns and other neighborhoods have sort of a symbiotic relationship. Downtown Seattle is the most important part of Washington state's economic engine. And so downtowns have to thrive. Tracy also had a personal answer to that question when I asked her. Do you live in a downtown? I do. I live in downtown D.C. Why do you choose that place to live and what do you love about it? You know, I'm just trying to get the most out of my day (laughs) and (laughs) I don't want to spend it stuck in a car. A few years ago, I was living in a suburb and I was commuting an hour and a half each way every day between like dropping my kid off and getting to work. And it was destroying my body and my quality of life. And I wanted to regain control of my time and my health. I'm not advocating that downtowns be saved as like an act of charity of some kind. I'm trying to just point out that it's not just that like downtowns need help. We need downtowns because they are the anchors of strong regional economies and strong regional economies are the engine of opportunity and prosperity for people in this country. I want the maximum number of people possible to have a chance at creating a sustainable, independent, high quality of life for themselves. And in the information and knowledge economy and the experience economy, that's going to be anchored in cities. So we need to figure out how to make this work so that especially in the climate change era, that we have these resilient places that can sustain the kind of lifestyle that can keep people on this planet enjoying a high quality of life. All right. I'm sold. Anything you want to add, Joshua? No, I think she says it pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Downtown D.C. has a great metro as well, by the way. Uh, Joshua McNichols is KUOW's growth and development reporter. Thank you, Joshua. Hey, it was a pleasure. And you're listening to Soundside on KUOW. And this is Giving Tuesday, which is a day when nonprofits like KUOW ask you, our community, to support the causes that you care about. The vital news and information that KUOW delivers is made possible by listeners like you. You are our largest and most reliable source of funding. And thank you to the Rainier Institute and Foundation, because all gifts today will be doubled up to $150,000, thanks to their generosity. 
generosity. So today, your impact is doubled on this Giving Tuesday. Go ahead, go to KUOW.org slash donate to make your gift. Uh, may I suggest the monthly level of $12 a month, which will get you this Listen Local tote with a brand new local art uh, design on the front. It's got a radio. It's got an orca whale. It's got a Sasquatch, of course, and it's a great gift for anybody this holiday season. That's at the $12 a month level. But of course, any amount is much appreciated on Giving Tuesday. KUOW.org slash donate. And thanks. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.